eye out there. I'm Pat Polly, and I'd like to welcome you to my show, Artbeat Northwest. Each week, we interview someone from the performing arts or the visual arts, and this week we're talking about the epi- epic opera, Aida, at Seattle Opera, May 5th to 19th, coming up soon. And we're talking with Jonathan Dean, who is dramaturge at Seattle Opera. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hi, Pat. Thanks Thanks for having me. And now, dramaturge is a very interesting uh, job title. <laughs> what do you do at Seattle Opera? Well, most of the opera-going audience knows me as the guy who writes the translation. When you go to Seattle Opera, any opera company in America, you know, uh, there's always a translation of whatever is being sung, oftentimes. Like Aida, it's in Italian. Or we do lots of operas, French, German, Russian, whatever. But mm, this is Seattle. Not everybody speaks all those languages. So we always translate them and put the words on a big screen over the top of the stage so the audience knows exactly what is what the characters are saying to each other at every moment in the opera. That's and, been my job since so sometime in the late 90s. And that's so helpful to me and yeah. <laughs> I think to most of the listeners. Well, it's really changed the sort of whole experience of going to opera when, since they started doing that, really when the technology became available uh, back when I was a kid. Uh, it used to be if you went to operas in a foreign language in the U.S., you had to do a lot of homework or you had to, you know, read it ahead of time or try to memorize the, the plot outline of who's going to say what to who in what scene. And it, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't very easy. Nowadays, of course, it's like going to a movie. Yeah, it's so much more enjoyable. You get the story exactly you, you, as, as, you know, bit by bit as it's going. And, of course, it makes the music that much more enjoyable. Great. And oh, Jonathan is also author of uh, adaptations of Wagner's Ring operas for children. He's lectured and taught at many opera companies in the U.S. and Canada, and he is a graduate of Yale University. Yeah, I've been working with Seattle Opera G's since I graduated from college. Uh, I sort of slipped on a banana peel and found myself here at one of you know really America's best opera companies um, in the late '90s, and haven't ever found reason to leave because we do such such neat stuff. Great. That's great that you've been around so long. That shows Seattle Opera is certainly worth supporting, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's some other good opera companies in the U.S., but I like to think that, you know, we, we sort of keep a low profile maybe out here in the in the corner and have a great reputation. I mean, singers like to come to Seattle because, hey, they know that they're going to have a, a really nice time in a great city, uh, but they also know that they're going to, you know, get involved with a show that is going to be something they'll be proud of. Oh, yes. Well, before we get started with the interview... Uh, let's talk about the program just a bit. Um, Artbeat Northwest is a half-hour nonprofit radio program, and our mission is to promote the visual arts and the performing arts in the Pacific Northwest. And we don't spend a lot of time raising funds to support our uh, our program either. Now, if you listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. drive time on 11:50 a.m. We interview people from the arts and talk about goings-on in the art local art scene. You can listen to all past programs by going to 1150kknw.com website for the archives. And personally, I'm someone who loves the arts. I love t- talking about the arts and talking with artists. So the program for me has been fun and rewarding. And the ads on the program have been donated to the Kirkland Arts Center and the Bellevue Arts Museum. We'll be back shortly talking with Jonathan Dean about Aida at Seattle Opera. Stay tuned. 
What color blue is in the sky today? Did you see that sunset? How can I paint that? These are just a few of the things you'll learn by taking an art class at the Kirkland Art Center. Spring class registration is open now, and it's the perfect time to learn a new skill in drawing, glass mosaic, fiber art, collage, and so much more. Learn from professional art instructors at the Eastside's number one arts learning community. Register now for classes continuing through May and June. At KAC, we believe in the power of the arts to transform and inspire. Learn more online at kirklandartcenter.org. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Welcome back to Artbeat Northwest. We're here talking with Jonathan Dean, dramaturge, about Aida coming up May 5th to 19th at Seattle Opera. And what was that music we just heard, That's, Jonathan? of course, the Triumphal March from Aida, one of the most famous tunes ever written for trumpet. And when we do that in the opera, of course, that's the big grand processional after the triumphant army returns back, uh, you know, after, the, after their victory. And in the opera house, you've got these two different bands of trumpets, and they're not in the orchestra pit. Uh, they're out in the audience, actually, in our production. They'll be up on the top floor, kind of near the boxes, so that the sound is sort of coming all over the Ooh. place. And you, it, they, they harmonize You're immersed. Yeah. There's the, the, the trumpets in B-flat are on one side of the house, and the ones in E-flat on the other side of the house. <laughs> and, of course, there's one key that they have, one thing where they, have, they come together, and it's this sort of surround sound effect. It's really cool. And it's just really stirring, mm. isn't it? So why is Aida such a popular opera? People just love it. Oh, Aida's been, yeah, it's been one of the, uh, I think, the, the world's favorite operas, really, since its premiere in 1872. So that's what we're coming up on, uh, 150 years or so. 150 years, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, never, it's never flagged in popularity. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. It's a great show. It's a, it's a cool story. It's always a big, you know, sort of uh, uh, over-the-top uh, hu- experience of, of huge grandeur and uh, pomp and pageantry. But I think the real reason that, I, I mean, certainly for me, the reason Aida has been one of my favorite operas since I was a little kid is it's got amazing human music. It's music that tells a story, and it's music that's really, really, really good at getting in and all of the kind of the inner experiences of, of love, of loss, of uh, feeling torn between loving two things that are in conflict. I mean, it's just, it's a story that everybody can relate to on a very intimate, personal level. And it's got this amazing music that note by note takes you through that story and makes you feel all those feelings. But, it, you know, it's, it's the characters in the story who are going to suffer for it. You just, you get to sort of sit there and, and, and uh, go along with them and then walk back to your life at the end. And it's a story that draws people along, but in the midst of it, too, is this big spectacle oh, it's huge. and this huge show. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. don't you feel like... Oh, this is where it's at, right? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's that's I probably why why the um, Aida usually sells out. It's why it's one of those name recognition operas, is because it is such a big, you know, an immense immense thing. But what's so satisfying when you're there is it's both grand and intimate at the same time. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of very very subtle and and tender stuff in it. Now, would you recommend this production to both veteran opera goers and and Person's new to opera? Do you think someone new to opera? Oh, Aida is a great, it? yeah, it's a great opera for for first timers. It's a great opera, honestly. It's, it is a great opera. It for It might kids. get people hooked on you know, opera. When I was, right? I, I probably <laughs> first saw Aida when I was about ten or something, and I was uh, maybe a little young to understand quite how dire the situation in the story <laughs> gets with the you know and treachery and the lovers and the 
uh, doom and the you know capital punishment and everything. I mean, it's, it's a juicy story. Um, and yet, you know, it's also it's more like a in terms of a story, it's probably PG. So if you have kids who can you know sit and take it in, it's it's not a bad opera. For kids, and, and certainly for opera newcomers, you'll hear lots of music you've probably heard before. You'll uh, be really satisfied by all, just all this stuff on the stage. And I think the music will, you know, if it's performed properly, it will grip you. It's also an opera that opera lovers and the people who go around and listen to lots of operas, you know, they it, it Aida used to be one of the most oft-performed operas. Today, I looked it up, it's the 12th most often-performed opera. So it's slipped a little bit. It's out of, it's out of what we call the top 10. Probably, Probably just because it's, it's, <laughs> it turns out it's, it requires a lot of resources to put an Aida together. But that does pull out the, uh, the people who've seen it many, many, many times. It's a tricky opera to get everything in balance. And I think one of the things that's going to be very appealing about this particular production of Aida, uh, which is new, it's not an Aida that's ever been seen. It's not even like any Aida that's ever been seen at Seattle Opera in the past. This is an Aida that is uh, responding very much to today's world and the issues of war and uh, sort of uh, groups in conflict, uh, ethnic groups, political groups, national groups. Those are done with an eye to what's happening in the world today. So it is going to feel very alive. And uh, could you talk a little bit more about the storyline in Aida so people kind of know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, Aida is a, it's a sort of a Romeo and Juliet story. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, star-crossed lovers at the core of it. But, you know, uh, the opera was composed in 18, what did I say, 1872 was the first performance. It was actually created in the 1860s. And it was a, uh, it was actually a commissioned piece for uh, Cairo in Egypt. And they wanted a new opera to celebrate the, the past of Egypt. But at the time, in eight, the 1860s, uh, the, the, what's now the science of Egyptology was still in its very, very beginning. So it's not a very realistic or historically accurate picture, but it does have this background of antiquity and uh-huh. antiquity along the Nile. It's taking place in two different cities in the Nile, and the Egyptians are at war with, in the Italian libretto, in the words in the opera, they're at war with the Ethiopians. Now, that's a, obviously a nation today, and actually that w- it's in the wrong place. The, the, the word is a mistranslation of the Greek. It would have been the, would in what the Egyptologists nowadays call it the kingdom of Kush, which would be in what's now Sudan. Oh, really? But that's the, the struggle. And so Aida, yeah. who's our heroine, is from the south. She's from you know, where the Nile kind of goes up the cataracts and into the forests and the, you know, the plains. And sh- she's fallen in love with... Radames, who's the guy, who's our tenor, and he's the captain of the Egyptian army. And he's from the desert. He's from, you know, the land of the um, hot sun and all those great stone temples and that kind of stuff. So those two drawn together, and then they're, they're, the groups they belong to are, are fighting. And there's a lot of back and forth and treachery, and, of course, there's also a rival. Um, Radames is supposed to marry the princess of the Egyptians, Amneris, who is Aida's rival, and then we get this very juicy love triangle, which gives rise to lots of uh, fantastic scenes and great music. And at the end, uh, it doesn't work. Let me just say, it doesn't work out very well. But these Romeo typical Juliet's, opera, though, right? <laughs> well, no. I don't know. Somehow, it's it, it's, it's a okay in an story, opera yeah. when it doesn't quite work out <laughs> you well. Want it? I mean, the, you know, basically, <laughs> since since opera was invented, it turns out the two things most worth singing about. On Earth, our love and death, love and, and death. opera gives us plenty of both, <laughs> plenty too, of both. And, and good excuses to sing. Well, now, why is Aida such a huge 
problem and expense to put on. <laughs> well, it's it's a tradition that has evolved out of this particular kind of opera. You know, there's loads of different types of opera. Opera's been around for hundreds of years in different uh, countries. Uh, this particular Aida is what you would technically call a French grand opera. No, it's not French. They're singing in Italian, and it was actually written for Egypt. So <laughs> it's just the French. <laughs> Multicultural. Yeah, the French were the ones who came up with this. It's almost a little bit like the the Northwest tradition of the potlatch, where you have a big celebration and you just show off how much money you have <laughs> yeah. by you know. You just put, show put, everything. But right? in, in the potlatch, you actually gave gifts, and it was right. this big sort of honor game of who could give off the most stuff. For the, for the creators of French Grand Opera, it was look how big our show can be. This means <laughs> that we're you know this uh, hugely powerful culture. This the people who put who put these things on, and that was why the Egyptians wanted to do one yeah, to, oh, to show. Hey, look! We've built an opera house in Cairo, and we have this opera that's worthy of our great, our great history and our, our great civilization. Um, but yeah, that does mean that you do need to have uh, uh, a lot of stuff in, in Aida. I counted up the number of—I mean, not just the, the the principal characters. I've talked a little bit the story. You know, our three principal characters are in this love triangle: this, you know, uh, Aida, Radames, and Amneris. There's another very, very, very important character, which is Aida's father who is the king of Ethiopia, the land of the south, and he also plays a role. But in, on top of those four, there are going to be uh, almost 100 people on stage in costume. We've got a chorus in this production of 67, plus a team of about 20 dancers, and then a whole bunch of extras who are people who neither sing nor dance, but are just there to sort of you know fill the stage. An orchestra of, in this case, 84 players plus the people out in the house. So there's just a lot of artists who and are then, involved in the show. And then, as far as your singers, you were saying that they have to have very powerful voices. Uh, yeah, the the roles, those main roles, Aida, Radames, Amneris, uh, the dad, Amnasro. And there's one other one, actually, the, the, the high priest, Ramphis. He's the bass. He's got the most you know, profound, deep voice, and he's the sort of implacable power of the Egyptian state who ends up, you know, causing the problems, you know, for the, for all of our characters. Um, all those uh, principal singers have to have voices that are powerful enough to uh, dominate and, and be able to... You can't sing louder than an 84-piece orchestra, but you can sing in such a way that the audience can hear you, even though there's this humongous orchestra making this big noise. That very, is amazing. You must special, have the best. You must need the best they're, voices. They're, well, I, I mean, the best. it's a very spe- special kind of voice, and it's a big voice. When you're in, because we rehearse the opera, of course, in smaller rooms, and the in rehearsal they have to hold back a little bit because otherwise it just it's a bit too much. Um, but it's, it's a, a way of it's kind of slicing through the wall of orchestral sound, if you, if you see what I mean. Oh. No human voice can ever be as loud as, let's say, a trumpet playing the yeah. triumphal march. I mean, instruments are just, they were you know, originally built to be louder than singers. Um, but their singers, by this time in the, in the history of opera, had figured out ways of, you know, kind of commanding those orchestras. And, of course, you have to have a conductor who can keep it all balanced and let the voices bloom when they need to bloom. And then if the voices are going to be quiet, then let the orchestra make, you know, uh, a, huge, uh, a huge and wonderful sound. And those of you who are novices, these these singers do not use microphones. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, this opera is from 1872. They didn't have microphones back in those days. It'd be cheating (laughs) if we used it today. (laughs) So, no, these singers, this is an opera by Giuseppe Verdi, who is sort of the great Italian master of opera. And he's also the one who, over the course of his career, orchestras got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the singers had to find out ways of of, uh, dealing with that and, and really dominating it. It's a special kind of 
singer in all these all these vocal vocal categories a verdi soprano aida has to be, you know be big enough to get through there but she's also supposed to be a very sweet you know lovely young woman who's got to be able to what the trick with singing aida you have to float your pianissimi that means to <laughs> sing very 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 quietly but so that 3000 people can hear you in this tender way it's almost like when she's sort of singing about her love she's got to you know almost caress the back the hair on the back of your neck and you're sitting in the top balcony at the opera house it's a it's a tricky thing oh sounds uh, sounds like you have talented people we have an amazing cast lined up they've come from all over the world uh for this aida um our aidas and uh we know and we have two casts i mean one of the things that's tricky with seattle opera is we go back to back we do a friday night performance and then a saturday performance and no singer in the world is going to be able to sing these main roles in aida two nights in a row. It's just too exhausting and demanding, uh, too much wear and tear. You usually go on vocal rest. The day after you've sung an opera, you <laughs> try to minimize the amount of sound you put out. Right. So we have another team that does it. So that means we actually have uh, eight of these singers from all over the place. The Aidas are both uh, American. Uh, uh, Alexandra Lobianco is returning to Seattle Opera. Leah Crocetto is making her debut. Our, and she's the one that's been in a couple of other productions of this. Well, this particular production, meaning these sets, these costumes, and this interpretation, this way of yeah. doing Aida. Actually, Leah, yeah, she's been in this production of Aida in San Francisco and in Washington, D.C., and now she's doing it for the third time in Seattle. And all, all three times she's had the same lover, uh, the Brian Jade, who's the tenor who sings Radames opposite her. So they actually are, are old friends. They've done it several times now. <laughs> Uh, and we'll see what, what they add to it that's new. But the, the character of the rival, for instance, Amneris, she's the mezzo-soprano, so she's got a lower voice. Aida is the one who's going way up to the high, you know, very, very tippy top of the human vocal range and singing the high Cs. Amneris has a more sort of meaty, uh, weightier voice. And our two Amnerises are both singing at Seattle for the first time, and they're from all over the place. Um, Miljana Nikolic is a singer who lives in Australia. She married an Australian. She's originally uh, actually... Ethnically, she's from Montenegro, but uh, she was born in Serbia. Um, <laughs> and now her counterpart in the other cast, Elena Gaburi, comes to us from France. She lives in Paris and has for a lot of years. She was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, and her dad is from Syria. So, yeah. Uh, it, sort of, they are they, from all over. They, and they have, and they've sung this opera all over the world. I mean, that's the thing is there's not that many people in the world at any one time who are actually physically capable of singing Aida. So if we're going to do it, we have to have at least eight of them here with us. Uh, and then so, let's and see, you, our, our baritones the two who play Aida's dad, um, they're both old friends of Seattle Opera who've sung with us many times, Gordon Hawkins and Alfred Walker. And they're both fantastic American singers uh, who were very, very, very happy anytime those two guys can come. Alfred Walker is actually going to stay on with us at Seattle Opera. He'll do the dad in Aida. And then this summer, he'll play Porgy in Porgy and Bess, which will be our big summer opera in August. Wow. So you've rounded up the best people to sing. But listen, it's already time for a break. <laughs> We'll be back shortly talking more about Seattle Opera's Aida on Artbeat Northwest. From new exhibitions to community events, Bellevue Arts Museum is always new, always different, and always exciting. Through August 10th, check out Posada, Jose Guadalupe Posada and the Mexican Penny Press. Known as the father of modern Mexican art, Posada is famous for his popular and satirical representations of calaveras or skeletons in lively guises. On Saturday, July 14th, join us for the Artful Evening, BAM's most fun, festive, and important fundraising event of the year, with over 300 community 
community leaders and friends attending. Artful Evening is the party of the summer and helps fund world-class exhibitions and essential community programming throughout the year. More at BellevueArts.org. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Artbeat Northwest. We're here talking with Jonathan Dean, dramaturge about Aida, coming up May 5th to 19th at Seattle Opera. Only nine performances. Only nine performances. Oh, but the I room, get your ticket now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big room, so there, there should be plenty of seats for everybody. Now, this is a co-production, and it already this particular production has been seen in Washington National Opera. Now, that's that's not the state of Washington. That's the Kennedy Center mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Uh, San Francisco Opera was the first one mm-hmm. to put it on. And then Minnesota Opera will be putting it on. Yeah, in Twin right? Cities, they'll be doing it uh, next year, I think. So in that way, the expenses that are terrific have been shared. For example, uh, the staging uh, mm-hmm. is... Uh, That's right, and the sets and the costumes and all the all the stuff that is built to uh, follow, you know, the ideas of the designers, uh, the set designer, the costume designer, the lighting designer, all the different locations, um, all, all that stuff will go to all of those cities. Usually, uh, you know, gets trucked across the country back and forth, and then um, you know, uh, musicians in each city then put it on. And then, in, in the case of those principal musicians, the the ones doing the main characters, many of those will go to each city to do it. And why don't we talk a little bit about the staging because it's kind of unusual for an yeah, opera. Yeah, no, it's, this is a very exciting production. Uh, the production is directed and, and the whole idea of it really comes out of a, a great opera artist, Francesca Zambello, a big name in the world of opera. She runs the opera house, the, the Washington National Opera in D.C., which performs in the Kennedy Center. And she also runs a small opera company in upstate New York, Glimmerglass Opera, um, which is the only other opera company that I've ever worked at. Oh. Um, back when I was uh, actually when I was in college, I, I did a summer up at Glimmerglass, which was a neat, 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 neat place. Um, but yeah, Francesca Zampella uh, has an incredible gift for doing these these big operas, and you know that have a, a lot of scale and a lot of spectacle, but also have a, a real human core. And she's she's always good at getting sort of both that sort of long focus that you can see the people and the the intimate characters in the foreground in their drama, and then. You know, this huge thing going on in, in the back. She did an opera uh, that longtime Seattle opera goers will remember, War and Peace, the opera, four-hour some <laughs> long, long piece by Sergei Prokofiev, which Seattle Opera did in 1990 in the summer that was the Goodwill Games. And it was just at the time of Glasnost, and the Soviet singers were coming to the U.S. for the first time performing. It was a, it was a huge spectacle. And it was, that, was, that was Francesca Zambello, you know, uh, at the beginning of her career. And here she is now... Uh, well on and, and 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 she's been the director of this production <laughs> will be in in all four places in also four cities and the person who really pulled together all of the other artists who did the production the designers um we should talk about the uh the fantastic visuals oh which, yeah the visuals from the street artist yeah retina who's making his his opera debut now he's paired up with another artist the set designer michael jurgen who has been who's done many 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 operas for seattle opera and with francesca but sort of the the older uh, designer who who uh, jurgen kind of came up with some structures and then retina filled them in with his very special uh brand of i don't want to call it uh 
calligraphy or, or hieroglyphics, but these this fantastic street calligraphy yeah, and hieroglyphics. Sort of personal uh, language of of it's it's almost yeah it's almost like a characters in an alphabet. And and he said that everyone wouldn't really understand his hieroglyphics, but his friends would. So maybe <laughs> maybe out in the audience understanding more than we other patrons do, right? <laughs> Another... But he is a true uh, street artist. He started out just doing, you know, thing, you know, big cartoonish things on buildings and uh, yeah, tagging. And, uh, got in trouble for it as a kid growing up in L.A. And now he has a huge studio and he paints on sixty million dollar planes and he has a. a an album cover for Justin Bieber, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, he's, amazing. He's, he's all over the world. I mean, he's he's got a career that's just absolutely. So that's off right what now. you'll see on stage, which is really very interesting. And then besides that, we have a wonderful dance uh, choreography yes, that's been Je- done. Jessica Lang, who's a big name in in, in dance today, uh, and I think uh, has her stuff has sometimes been seen here with Pacific Northwest Ballet, yes. so forth. But it's rare at the opera. I mean, there's occasionally dancing in opera, but uh, it's usually it's not uh, quite as prominent or as uh, powerful as it is in Aida. Aida, being a French grand opera, it has to have everything and the kitchen sink. And in this case, there's actually some really uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, ballet music that Verdi wrote into the opera, well, sprinkled throughout. There's a there's a big central dance section actually right after we hear that that wonderful trumpet solo of the Triumphal March, then we go into the, the, the biggest of the dances. But there's there's other dances in there. And these are very trained contemporary uh, dancers, yes, too. And they're they're, they're not from, just some people from the opera doing the dance. No, there's a, there's a team. We have, a, I think, 19 dancers in the show. Uh, some of them are, are local, but uh, several of them who are doing the big principal solos have come in from New York and have done the show in these other cities as well. So, uh, you know, the choreography has, has been written on these people who are major players in the show as well. So that's something special that you won't see in probably any other edition of Aida. But uh, now sometimes in this triumphal march, though, a lot of the operas, if especially if they're staged outside, they're known for having animals <laughs> in the triumphal march. But this one is not going to have that. But plenty of more exciting things. And you said you were well, connected with one. That well, no, one. There was a, there's a funny story. So, yeah, you're right that in the big outdoor arena productions, it's something that t- tend, the opera goers tend to say, oh, you're doing Aida. Are you going to have an elephant? Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if the stage door is big enough to get a uh, elephant in their, their backstage. Uh, they do, uh, for instance, in Verona in Italy, where they have this ancient Roman amphitheater that's the, you know the, where the Colosseum type thing was, uh, they'll do Aida in the summer outdoors. And those, over the course of the 20th century, those got more and more into, yeah, bring in the zoo. Uh, in Seattle, they tried that in 1927 at Husky Stadium. Uh, they had this huge, huge Aida production with a chorus, I think, of 300, an orchestra of 100 singers who trained over from New York to sing. And... It was the biggest open-air opera production in the history of Seattle, and it got rained out. It got rained out. And that's why it took us another (laughs) several decades before we actually put together and and built the Opera House uh, for the World's Fair. The World's Fair Opera House opened in 1962 with Aida. That was the opera that started it all for us. And it didn't get rained out. And it was indoors. Yeah. And And we know all about being rained out because we've had plenty of it this month. Mm. But listen, we are already running out of time. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for telling us all about AIDA at Seattle Opera. Now, how do we go online to get tickets? www.seattleopera.org.
Very and, simple. Yeah, and there's loads of great stuff on our website, including more information about our singers and the artists, and you can see Retina's visuals, and you can hear the music that we've been listening to, uh, and it's all there, but you'll want to come and see it in person. It's oh, an we'll all want to come and see You'll never forget. It. Yes. And be sure to listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. drive time for Artbeat Northwest. I'm your host, Pat Hawley, sign on, signing off on Alternative Talk 1150. Have a great, creative week. <laughs>